God so loved the world that he gave. God sent his son into the world for us, and then later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, and I'm sending you out as lights in the darkness as well. And we can't all go around the world, across the street, yes, but not around the world necessarily. And so we're delighted to have folks that we are part of supporting that can go into those countries where we aren't able to go. And this morning we have John Rust with us. John has been a missionary with ABWE for about four decades, was sharing with us uh, last night that uh, Berean was the church that brought them to 100% support 39 years ago. And so a long relationship with John, and we're delighted to have him come and share what God has been teaching him as well as what God has been doing in the country of Portugal. So, John, come. The Lord bless you as you share with us, brother. Thank you. <laughs> great to be back. I enjoy singing. Isn't that great? I, it's a lot better than singing in the shower by yourself. <laughs> Um, although I do that sometimes too. <clears throat> Portugal is actually located next to Spain. It's not in South America. And it's not next to Paraguay or Peru. Or, uh, it's in uh, Europe. Uh, some people send us mail down there and it eventually gets to us. But <laughs> I'll just back up a little bit and give you a little bit of history of, of myself and my wife. I was born in India to missionary parents uh, way back in the day. Uh, just so grateful for a Growing up in another country, to be exposed to different culture, to see the sacrifice my parents made. You might be able to spot me in the middle there in my Sunday school class. Um, <laughs> having friends that uh, were of different color and realizing they're just as important to God as I was. Uh, on and off to boarding school when I was six years old. It took us 36 hours to go 400 miles. Um, wonderful time. I, it was a great adventure for me. Uh, my brother not so much, yet I made some great friends. God worked in my life as a rebellious little kid. Uh, we used to stand outside the schoolroom every morning reciting verses we were memorizing, Psalm 91, a whole book of uh, Philippians. God really worked in my life from first through fifth grade in that school. It's where I began playing trumpet in fifth grade in our little ensemble. Uh, God continued to build that through my life. Uh, this picture somebody sent me recently of my mom coming to pick us up and just kind of symbolize what heaven's going to be like when we get together with all of those that are, are gone before us. What a great reunion. <clears throat> my folks left India and pastored a little church up north of here, north of Traverse City, Elk Rapids. My dad became my pastor, and I learned so much through his systematic expository preaching verse by verse through the Bible as a teenager. God really worked in my life in those very formative years. We supported a, a missionary named Don Bond at the time in Peru. He came and gave his furlough report, uh, extended an invitation at the end of his meeting, and I went forward and told God I'd be willing to go. Um, a lot of American kids, in fact, my friends in Elk Rapids had money and haven't even been outside of Michigan, let alone to another country. <clears throat> God used that in a tremendous way in my life, and I began preparing to become a missionary. Uh, talk a little bit about Marilyn. She was born in western New York, uh, near Buffalo, and her family moved from Colesville, Michigan, Colesville, New York, to Ramsey, New Jersey, where they were part of the Grace Baptist Church, and she was saved there and baptized, and that church to this day is still one of our supporting churches, and it's exciting to see uh, how the church is moving on. Uh, just really grateful for her family. Her father was in a terrible car accident when she was 11 years old, and her mother then moved to Clark Summit so her siblings could 
stay at home and uh, save some room and board. Last furlough when we were here, we celebrated her mother's 95th birthday with this huge gang of people. And I'm just so grateful to God for the legacy and heritage that's passed on to my children through the killing side of the family. I'm just really, really grateful for that. I met Marilyn at Clark Summit. It's called Clark Summit University today. It used to be called Baptist Bridal College. Um, but uh, <clears throat> we dated around the pond, and Marilyn wasn't so sure when she found out I wanted to be a missionary. She said, I don't know. And so she decided to take a trip to Brazil for the summer. In eight weeks, she was gone with this musical group, and she discovered she could play her flute in Portuguese. And that was a huge finding. <clears throat> And uh, God allowed her to become the first flute major to graduate from BBC and use her flute ministry throughout the entire time we were in Portugal. I was traveling with a brass quintet in the summers and then took a whole year off with a second group that traveled out this way, and that was the first time I came to Breen was with the brass group. And it was a tremendous blessing not only to be able to use my trumpet, but also to see uh, that I could get my tuition paid and goes to college free that way. So God used that in a really significant way. And then uh, Marilyn and I were married in Clark's Summit the same exact day that Bill and Peggy were married, June 14, 1980. I found that out later. Then they asked Marilyn and me to lead a, a third group during an entire year, and we traveled in, all over the Midwest during that year. And unbeknownst to me, it was a, a tremendous in for then writing back to many churches and pastors and lining up meetings to go to Portugal. And Brian was one of those uh, that where he'd been here and went back. In July of 82, we were appointed with ABWE. <clears throat> but they thought we were too young to go to the field at 24 years old. They probably were right. Um, and so they asked us to do an internship in Grand Rapids at Calvary Baptist Church with uh, Dr. John White and Bixby and Dan Austin. Learned a lot there and so grateful for the time we were able to spend one of the major things was they, I found out this later, that Dr. Bixby programmed activities or a certain ministry that he knew I would fail at so that I would have to deal with failure in ministry before we got to Portugal and struggling with culture and language and being away from parents. And, and it was a tremendous, tremendous year. So thankful for that. We began raising support in 83. I'm going to come back to the story about this uh, rambler in a minute, so just keep that in mind as, you, as I talk about this. Uh, well, our first son was born halfway through that year of raising support, and we took my parents' only grandson away from them and left for Portugal. Some of the sacrifices that parents make for missionaries that you might be aware of as well. We came back in 1988 on our first furlough and told everybody we had a very fruitful first term. <laughs> in, in more ways than one. God really did bless. We were able to team up with the Southwa family in the city of Lourdes. God was evident in using that as a significant training time for us as well. And that was one of the reasons we were attracted to ABW Portugal. We knew we wouldn't be working by ourselves. We'd have somebody that had some experience that we were working with. We were able to purchase a piece of property and help build a, a significant place to meet as a tool. And that church today is still going forward, doing well. One of the first couples I was able to disciple in 1986 um, had a little baby daughter. They hadn't gotten married yet, and they got saved, and they realized they needed to get married. Um, their little daughter, Tanya, today is the pastor's wife of that church. And it's kind of exciting to see, you know, if you hang around long enough, you get to see some of these um, long-term benefits of, of being there. Um, 
The third term, we were involved in helping our field team lead the construction of the Lisbon Training Center, which houses the Greater Lisbon Christian Academy. This has been a tremendous tool for our field, but also for other churches as well. Uh, the important thing is that it's not just a building, but it is a tool. Uh, the Christian schools where our children graduated from prepared them for college to come back to the States, but it's also an evangelistic tool. There's business people who have found out about our school and want to send their kids to an English curriculum. We have kids from India, from Nepal, from Egypt, from Korea, all over the world that get saved during this, the school periods and then go graduate and go back to their countries of origin taking the gospel with them. And another positive thing is my youngest son Andrew and his wife Molly are there. Uh, they're in charge of the entire facility as far as the maintenance goes, but also scheduling all the rentals for retreats and camps and guest rooms. And so it's exciting for me to be able to go back, even in retirement, and to spend some time there and help them and visit with them. Uh, it's really a, a positive thing. Our ABW team has changed so much in the past 40 years, and yet uh, there was a point where I was beginning to wonder, there's so many leaving Portugal, some retiring, some moving on to other ministries, and yet this past year, God has brought four new young couples to the field. And it's exciting to me to see that God's not done with Portugal. He's still going to continue working there. We moved to Meditaju for our fourth term and worked in the church across the river. We teamed up with Bob and Joe Fry. Um, another, another case of not having to work by ourselves. We're just so grateful for that opportunity to not be alone. And it was during this time our kids were teenagers and were involved significantly in the ministry there. Pastor Mario and his wife Lancy are doing a fantastic job of leading the church. It continues to grow. It's exciting to see what God's doing in that ministry. In 2006, we moved to Samora Correa, where we um, moved to a town a little further out from Lisbon, about half an hour, and in a kind of a secluded community as such. And we sensed the more strategic tie to the Roman Catholic churches. It's kind of the centerpiece of the town in the city of 20,000 people. And yet God continues to work in spite of that. This is just a simple example of how the Catholic Church is infiltrated in all areas of life. The, um, we joined the city band. It's a philharmonic band. Marilyn and I played in that. And we were played for this inauguration of a new ambulance that was given to the volunteer fire department by the Minister of Internal Affairs. And the priest, local priest, came. It's on the right side. They're giving a prayer. And then walked around the ambulance with his holy water, sprinkling it to keep it firemen safe as they travel. They just see the intertwined part of the culture as, and the religion with the Catholic Church, which makes it difficult to get inroads into the community. Being in the band helped us to create friendships and create a, a trust platform to be able to gain their respect, to be able to talk to them about personal things like their religion. And if you don't have that, just walking up to a cold contact is extremely difficult to share the gospel. God allowed us to purchase a piece of land. We submitted drawings for a simple building, but we weren't able to raise the funds to build it, and so ABW leadership told us to take the 130,000 euros we had and come up with a plan B. We were able to find a store that had a little apartment above it. It had been sitting empty for three or four years in bankruptcy court. Um, the basement or the ground floor had been used as a discotheque previously and it needed a lot of renovations. Uh, our previous term, we had volunteers come and help us fix out the outside and the downstairs into an auditorium. And this past term, we began working on the upstairs so that we could contact a young couple to come as interns and live there for free as part of the payment because our church is so small we really couldn't afford to pay them a salary. 
And God brought various teams over. I'm just so thankful for the work that was done. Uh, a lot of volunteer help. Uh, even though it was just couples, or Nathaniel came from, my oldest son came with a group from Union Grove, was able to use his Portuguese to help with some of the different tasks at hand, and met uh, one of the guys that I've worked with uh, part-time. His name is Nelson. And I've asked you to pray for him in some of my prayer letters. Continue to do so. Um, I was back in Portugal last month and able to meet with him for dinner. I've gone through a lot of the studies in the story of hope. Some of you might know that uh, good soil ministry that uh, ABW has, that God would continue to work in his life. And that when I go back, possibly this summer, we'll be able to see him make that commitment to trust Christ as his Savior. We also had a team come from Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Uh, did a great uh, job in doing a lot of tile work. And we also worked with another couple, Andy and Mara Cook, who were from Jamestown, New York area. Um, some creative ideas, younger couple. He's the one that came up with the name Park Place to put on our building. Uh, in Portuguese culture, to put the name church on a store just automatically puts you in a, in a bad light as far as the stigma. Because everybody knows that church is in a store. They have, you know stained glass windows and a bell tower. And so to be able to name this park place, there's a kid's park across the street, a little soccer court, uh, and then it says below it, Convivio e Formação, which means fellowship and training. So we have English classes, we have uh, piano lessons, uh, guitar lessons, we have uh, ping pong tournaments, we'll do all kinds of different things that the community come in and enter our building, and then there's a sign there that says this building is used by the Baptist Church once a week on Sundays as well. So it's to try and teach that the church is not the building, the church is the people, which we all know, but not necessarily in the culture that we, we are involved in. And God really used them to help us get the church off to a good start. In July of 2019, they resigned and left and returned to Jamestown. They needed, felt they needed to go back and help their family that was, had some health issues and so on. And it was a, a difficult time because a month later, Marilyn was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, and I was just asking God, what, what's going on? He took my teammates back to Jamestown, and now the doctor's giving her about a year to live. I don't understand what's happening, Lord. Um, some of you might remember that uh, we had friends that set up a GoFundMe page to raise money so our whole family could get together for Thanksgiving in 2019. And that was a huge, huge blessing uh, it was one of Marilyn's dreams was to have the whole family together, and it, it came about, and we were, had enough room in our living room to have everybody there, and it was a, just a, uh, an amazing memory that was created in our last Thanksgiving together. We were hoping to come back for our 40th anniversary in June of 2020, but our flights were canceled because of COVID, as you well know, so... Our little church put on a, it happened to be a Sunday, July, June 14th, and they put on a little party for us, and it was just an amazing time of, of encouragement. We finally were able to get back to the States September 1st, 2020, and Marilyn was able to bid farewell to her siblings, and all the grandkids came by to say goodbye. Uh, the doctor told us she had a matter of weeks to live and to call in hospice, and Rochelle at the time was living in Grand Rapids and was able to come over and help um, a number of times along with the hospice nurses. And I'm just so grateful for how God orchestrated those final days for Marilyn. And she died on October 20th, 2020. And I really wasn't sure what to do, but I, I really sensed that God wanted me to go back to Portugal to finish up what we had started together. I returned, and it was 
a tremendous blessing to have Andrew and Molly there to welcome me back, to help me um, get resettled into my apartment, which was decorated by Marilyn and had all the things that reminded me of her, and God's grace helped me to process and work through that time. I'm so glad I went back. God really blessed. We invited a young couple to come and be interns, and they were living upstairs in the parsonage area that had been remodeled, Mateusz and Sylvia, um, doing a fantastic job even today. Um, we were able to see four young men in October of that year uh, step out to follow God through baptism. The young man on the right, 16 years old, Marciu, I was able to baptize him, and the um, really interesting thing is that his father, when he was 16 in our first church in Lodish, I was able to baptize him, so it was a second generation. And I'm just really grateful. It was Mateo's first time to have a baptismal service, too. And uh, there's just these little blessings that if I hadn't gone back, I wouldn't have experienced. Jose is a state trooper. He started dating one of the ladies in our church, and I asked him if he wanted to study the Bible. He said, well, he was raised a Catholic, but he didn't really know much about the Bible. We went through the story of hope. He trusted Christ as his Savior. Um, before I left, I said, do you want to get baptized? Oh, I'm not quite ready. So keep praying for Jose that he would take the step of baptism. Um, just such a blessing to see God work in individual lives like that, especially adults. A lot of times we think it's easier to reach teens and children, and it is typically. But to see God work in a guy that's 50 years old is just amazing. just really like that. Tommy and Nicole uh, uh, Mitchell and Nicole and Courtney, they're two couples with Pioneer's Mission. Uh, they were looking for a place to do a year-long internship, and they've come to help in Samoa Korea, along with Mateusz and Sylvia, and they've been doing a fantastic job, and there's a possibility they might stay on and continue to help. We're really grateful. And I had prayed that God would bring another couple to help Mateusz and Sylvia, and God brought two. Um, and it's just incredible because they're about the same age that Marilyn and I were when we went to Portugal in the mid-20s. And to see their incitement and how God is using them has just really been a, a, a real privilege. They come up with new ideas, and they wanted to do Easter sunrise service at 5 in the morning. I said, have at it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sleep in. Sorry, guys. But... <laughs> Uh, it really turned out really well. They had a breakfast together afterwards, and then we had a baptismal service where a new believer, Paula, had gotten saved recently and out of a long divorce. And continue to pray for her. She's struggling with a lot of different things, and yet it's great to see God working. And if I hadn't gone back, I wouldn't have had these opportunities. And the last Sunday in June in 2022, I was able to pass the baton to Mateusz, and he's doing a fantastic job. I'm just really, really grateful for what what God is doing with, without me there. They had a little farewell time for me. Uh, they put this little picture up in the back. If you can see it, it's called the Rusty Corner. <laughs> and they dedicated it to Marilyn and me for our con contribution to that little church. And uh, just a, a really emotional time to thank God for what he's done and what he's continuing to do. I'd like you to keep praying for my kids, uh, Nathaniel, Jason, Rochelle, and Andrew. Uh, they've all taken Marilyn's parting differently, and it's been a struggle for some, and uh, it was something I didn't probably calculate. I was kind of more concerned about myself in a way, and yet I, I understand that they have their own issues to work through and, and trusting God through this whole process. We were together the last time all together at Marilyn's funeral. Fourteen grandkids then, 16 now, so God's given me an opportunity to 
retire and invest in their lives, which is a huge blessing. I'm praising God for that opportunity. Pray for Sylvia and Mateusz, uh, as I've already talked to you about them. They just had a little baby boy, Dominique. Um, so the church is growing, and uh, we're excited about uh, their opportunities to serve other couples in young ages. I met Mateusz when he was four years old. His parents moved from Brazil. And the church we were at, the previous church, um, one of the Brazilian missionaries asked me to do an after-school, help out with the after-school program. Just once a week I'd go in and teach a computer class. And I thought, man, do I really have time to spend with little kids? You know, I, I'm here to minister to adults. Well, I decided, okay, I'll do it. I found an old CD I had of Mavis Beacon teaches typing. I stuck it in the computer and I was helping them to learn. And so once a week I'd go in there and they'd come running and Mateusz would come running up to me, push towards you, wow, and he grabbed my leg. Little guy, you know, that's Pastor John in case you didn't understand Portuguese. The, um, and I could never have imagined this guy would grow up to be taller than me and be the pastor of the church that I've turned over. And so oftentimes we need to realize that we can invest in people's lives. We don't know what their future is going to be and let God keep, the, keep track of those details. Um, here's a little video I'd like to show. They're just presenting themselves and talking a little bit about the ministry there in Samoa. Bom dia. Bona dimineta. Eu sou Mateus. I'm Silvia. And this is our to-be-named baby boy. We're John's helpers. Um, we got here to Samoa to help him. Uh, we've known John for, well, I've known John for many years. He was actually the one that picked me up at the airport with his van when I was four years old, and he was my first pastor here in Portugal and well fears went down the road and we got an invitation from him to help with the work that he was doing here in Samora Correia. We were called to help as he was transitioning from full-time ministry towards retirement and that's why we're here. Yes and with more hands on deck more people started committing to the community more people started joining our Sunday services and to participate to activities like canoeing youth events, ping pong tournament, services outside, picnics, Easter sunrise service, worship nights, after church barbecues. And since we've been here, we, we always felt a strong and, and beautiful and genuine family bond uh, between us. But we see this as a fruit of, of Pastor John's perseverance, your faithful and generous support, and some fresh blood joining the effort didn't hurt. All of this is God's work, and it's towards His glory. But it is a great privilege to keep on working in God's work and following up John's footsteps. The reasons that I, I decided to retire early, at least a couple of years, was so that some of my support could be freed up to help um, Mateusz and Sylvia so he could quit his full-time job, and at least for the first five years until the church grows some more to assume that responsibility. And so far, I've had three of my churches uh, take up that challenge and just pray that a few more would do that uh, and allow them to minister full-time in the church there uh, over the next few years. When I was considering what to do for this final furlough, I was talking to my son, Nathaniel, I said, you know, I think I'm just going to record a video and send it to all my churches. Um, I don't feel like traveling by myself and talking about Maryland. And my son said, um, Dad... You need to go in person and thank them personally. Four decades is a long time. I said, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. It's sometimes good to take advice from our kids, isn't it? 
Um, and I, I am so grateful. Uh, church here has been so, so faithful in support with just prayers, with um, sending money or um, writing letters. Every Christmas I get a big envelope of Christmas cards. Uh, it's just amazing to think of how faithful you have been over so many years and invested in Portugal through our ministry. And I'm very, very grateful. Thank you. Thanks so much. First Peter is where I'd like to start as are we open our Bibles this morning. First Peter chapter 1. I want to go back and talk about that 1967 Rambler Ambassador that we bought from Marilyn's grandmother when she stopped driving at 90 years old. It was a great car. The only thing wrong with it was the gas gauge didn't work. And so I, I got the system down where I had this little notebook and I write down the mileage when I'd fill up and I think, well, I've got about 300 miles I can get on this gas tank full. And it worked pretty well, except I ran out of gas about four times. Uh, because I was, had so much faith that I had a few more miles to the next gas station and I, it didn't matter how much faith I had, I still ran out. And so uh, that kind of a, is a life lesson. It's not how much faith you have, it's where your faith is placed. And if you have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, it really does transform your life. You're not having faith in the fact that you have capacity to have faith or faith in your good works or faith in whatever else. And here in 1 Peter, we read, and starting in verse 3, the idea of what a genuine faith is. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How do we determine genuine faith? We hear a lot of about fake news these days, don't we? Well, there's a lot of fake faith out there, too, that's not genuine. People believe in Portugal, in Fatima, the parents of Mary to some shepherd kids back in 1913. They have a lot of faith. They'll go up there, they'll walk on their knees around this sanctuary, uh, asking Mary for something, and so much faith. But it's not genuine faith in what the Scriptures talk about. If we go back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 11, it's the chapter of faith, the hall of faith. I like to see this part about Abraham because I think we can take three basic principles and define what genuine faith looks like. Genuine faith, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him, of the same promise. 
For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. I see in this first genuine faith is, is described as one looking for the city of God, not being content with what we have here in this earth. And that's a hard lesson to learn. We, it's so easy to get wrapped up in what we have here. We live in a, in a culture that's totally wrapped up in materialistic things here and material gains, um, and not for the eternal. Um, in Portugal, 1986, joined the European Union. It was the poorest country in Western Europe at the time and continues to be almost that way. And there was this great promise from Brussels, being the capital of the European Union, that they were going to inject all this money into Portugal from the cohesion fund to bring it up to a level of standard playing for the rest of Europe. $10 million per day since 1986 has been injected into Portugal. And yet today, that promise of the god of wealth has not delivered but disillusioned many Portuguese. Because wealth cannot satisfy. It cannot bring us that hope that we have for eternal city of God. Oftentimes, um, I have people ask me where I'm from. Maybe you ask that to others that you meet, and that's part of the conversation that's built up. Where are you from? And I usually say, well, it's a long story. Um, Am I from India? Well, then my, uh, my parents used to live in Ohio when we were on furlough, Lorraine, Ohio, and then they moved to Michigan. And I went to college in Pennsylvania. I've been in Portugal since 84, and when we came back on furloughs, we'd live in Elkhart, Indiana. I don't know where I'm from. And it's really not that important because my citizenship is in heaven. You can be from anywhere in the world. I could live anywhere in the world and be happy, I think. It's not that important. What is important is our eternal destiny and the fact that we have citizenship in the city of God. Oftentimes we get caught up with nationality things, uh, which country is superior to the others. In our previous church, we had a number of different nationalities because of the fact that Portugal had various colonies. Many of those people immigrated to Portugal from Angola, from Brazil, from Mozambique, from the Cape Verde Islands. And so there was this mix besides an American, and we had a, a Canadian single missionary working with us, and so I was trying to illustrate this point that we all think we're superior in our nationality to others. And I said, you know, in, in America, we're much superior than the Canadians. This is like a 51st state, it's no big deal, you know. And she was starting to turn red in her face, and, and I said, you know how Canada got its name? Yeah, the Portuguese explorers went over there to the New World, and they worked their way up from Central America, and, up to, and they got up to the northern part, and they said, Canada, and turned around and went home. Well, Ca means here, and, and of course, Nada is just like Spanish means nothing. <laughs> and, and she's getting even redder in the face, said, that's not how we got our name. Well, we can joke about superiority of nationality and all those things, but it's not important. And I was trying to make that point to our congregation. It doesn't matter if you're Angolan or Mozambicano or Brazilian or Portuguese. What's important is the fact that we have our citizenship in heaven and we're looking for that city of God whose architect and builder is God. And Abraham had that. And so we put aside all those differences of nationality and say, God's Citizenship is so much more important than mine. I think Abraham living in a tent helped too. Um, if you ever go camping in a tent, it's, we've done it a few times. Um, 
The ants seem to take over occasionally. When my daughter and her family moved from Grand Rapids to Gettysburg, they sold their house really quickly last May, and they tried to find a place near Gettysburg, and they put an offer in one place, another place, another place, kept getting outbid. So they set up a tent at the campgrounds there near Gettysburg, and so all of June they were hanging out there. I stopped to visit them in July and said, well, I'm going to hang out with my friends in, in Harrisburg because I don't really want to sleep in the tent here. August, they're still in the tent, still no house. I think if we lived in tents like Abraham did, we'd probably be looking forward to the city of God a little bit more. Fortunately, they did find a house eventually in October. But um, Living in a tent gives us that temporary feeling. I imagine Abraham's tent was pretty nice, but um, probably lined with goats and camel hair, and who knows, he was a pretty wealthy guy, so I'm sure it looked really nice. But it still was a tent. It wasn't a stone building. And I think that's what helped Abraham realize that he was looking for the city of God, and his faith rested in that, not on the promised land that he was given. Going on to verse 11 through 16, it says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people who were still living by faith when they died, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The city thing comes back, but it talks about Isaac, the promise made for a son. Does anybody remember how old Abraham was when that promise was made? I think about 75 maybe, but how old was he when Isaac was born? 100, right? 25 years Abraham is waiting for this promise. I think genuine faith is characterized by waiting for God. It's not easy to wait. None of us like to wait. We live in a society that's all instant stuff, especially with the internet. We don't have to wait for hardly anything. I'm a horrible cook, and I like using the microwave because it's instant. You know, stick it in there, boom, it's done, I'm, I can eat. And yet, waiting on God is one of the characteristics of genuine faith. Uh, there's a, an old song that was on one of the vinyl LPs I bought years ago from a group called Maranatha Praise Singers. And I collected all 14 of them. They're still in the attic. <laughs> uh, and one of those from that era is got some, most of the songs are taken right out of scripture and really cool. And it kind of goes like this. I'll see if I can sing it for you. In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. Isn't that a great song? And it's one of those things where our faith has to rely on that. In God's time, is not ours. 
God promised Abraham, and 25 years later it comes about. And Abraham's faith was tested during that whole time. I, I guess he messed up a little bit with Hagar, but in the, in the long run, he came back and realized that, you know, God's going to keep his promise through Isaac. The third characteristic I see here is in verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, who had received the promise, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. This quality I see of genuine faith is trusting in God's sovereignty, even when it doesn't make sense. How could God ask him to kill his only son that he had with Sarah? It doesn't make sense. Trusting God's sovereignty is one of those things that is extremely difficult when we're in difficult times. When we began to pray that God would heal Marilyn, we prayed that God would let this cup pass from us. But it wouldn't be our will, but his will be done. And that's the Lord's Prayer. We go down through the simple Lord's Prayer that's recited so often in Portugal by our Roman Catholic friends. It says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if it's his will that's going to be done, it means our will sometimes has to be undone. And trusting in God's sovereignty, even when it doesn't make sense, is a true test of our faith. We felt it necessary to live out before our friends and believers in Portugal that we don't just teach that the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is false, but we want to live that out. If God's answer to our prayer is no, it's not because of lack of our faith. It's not because of lack of people in America praying for Maryland. It's not a lack of, of not knowing what God wants. It's not naming it and claiming it. Abraham's faith in God was also part of Isaac's faith. And to pass that baton from father to son, you know, Abraham's pretty old, and Isaac had to agree to get up on that altar, right? I mean, it wasn't like uh, Abraham picked him up and put him up there. And when we pass the test of faith and our children see it, they open their arms and accept faith the faith that we have. Passing the baton of faith to our children is a tricky thing. And oftentimes, we're not sure how we do that. But it's when they see us living out our faith based on genuine characteristics, like seeing our desire for heaven, like seeing our patience with God's timing, and like trusting God's sovereignty in the times difficult in our life. I was kind of upset with God that he took Marilyn. Well, we had great plans to retire and visit 
grandkids. We were going to buy a camper and park it in the driveway of each one of our kids for a month. How come God changed all that? There's a point where I, I came, almost had to feel like I was going to forgive God for messing up my life. Doesn't that sound radical? True faith can say God has every right to change my life if he wants to. Even though I don't understand it. One of the stories in the Old Testament I really like is the story of Joseph. Um, It just amazes me, all the stuff he went through and he stayed faithful and trusted God. And it wasn't like he had this vision, oh yeah, someday I'm going to be prime minister of Egypt, so I'll put up with this stuff. It wasn't that at all. He didn't know ahead of time. We don't know ahead of time either what God's doing and how he's working out his details. And to trust him in sovereignty and when his brothers come and fall at his feet and say, please forgive us. And he starts weeping because he'd already done that. He said, you planned it for evil, God planned it for good. And to be able to see God's sovereignty in the evil things that happened, even his own family that rejected him, tried to kill him, he could forgive them because he knew God's sovereign plan was more important than their evil plans. And sometimes we have family that treat us badly, and we don't understand why. God's permitted it for some reason, and we need to trust him. Maybe it's the church family. Maybe somebody in the church has hurt you and you don't understand why. God might be testing your faith to see if you're willing to trust him with those details that have come through in your life. I never got really great grades in high school and college. I probably could have done better, but I was too busy playing basketball and playing my trumpet. But I like to get a good grade on this test, test of my faith. And I wonder, um, what did Abraham think? God, I'm 120. Do I have to go back to school and take another test? What's this all about? God will continue to test our faith, even when we're old. And I don't think I'm really old. I'm 65, seems old. And I remember my dad turned 65, he seemed old. But God's going to continue to test our faith. If we look at the, the story of the sower and the seed in Matthew chapter 13, the one type blossoms, and then all of a sudden these problems come up, and it withers and dies. Because it wasn't genuine faith. And God allows these tests to come to prove that we really are part of his family. And we're not going to give up when things get difficult. Are you hoping for a good grade on your test of faith? Let's ask God to give us that extra strength to trust him when things aren't going what we, the way we want them to be. And that we would follow Abraham's example even at 120 years old to be proven to trust God and his sovereignty. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for the story of Abraham and how you worked in his life, even in his old age. 
And he's become the father of faith. And we are his children by faith because we trust you as well. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.